so I put this together, or good morning, I put this together on my computer, so give me a second for advances in technology to get running again. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm thankful to be here before you all today. Um, today is quite a different Sunday because uh, I actually stand up here this time in the pulpit, never having done this before. And I do that um, before you by the grace of God alone. So I'm very thankful to be here. Um, as Bill said, yes, I did have some apprehension quite a bit, but let's get to it. Uh, the Lord is constantly in the process of building His church, and um, currently my life looks completely different than how I expected it to turn out. Uh, I thought I was going to be playing baseball somewhere and be some guy on TV and these kind of things, but thankfully that's not what the Lord had for me, and uh, through it all, God is faithful, and I'm very thankful where He has me right now. He has me before you. Um, I'm even thankful for the very difficult parts of my life and that I've gone through that I will continue to go through. Uh, I've come to learn that when God turns up the heat in our life, so to speak, uh, that's really when he loves us the most because he is uh, in the process of his refining process and making us more like his son, and that's that's the goal. That's that's what every believer should desire to become is more like Christ. So with that being said, I just want to pray real quick, just so that the Lord can help me and that he'll be glorified. Heavenly Father, uh, for your glory alone do I stand before these people proclaiming the excellencies of your Son. My desire would not to be clever, but my desire would be to encourage your beloved little children and exhort them to love one another as you have demonstrated to us and that through this act, your character would be put on display and that the world would see the beauty, the majesty, and the preciousness of King Jesus so that he would receive the full reward for which he died. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So I wanted to break this, um, break this down in a few ways. Uh, I want to kind of give you like an introduction of what we're going to be talking about and how I'm going to go about that. Um, my plan today is to discuss love among the body of, of the body of believers in Christ. So that's primarily what we're going to be targeting on is love for one another uh, in the body and not necessarily outside the church, but primarily how we are to act in the church as believers and how God has called us to do that. Um, I want to identify um, three things here. I want to identify how love is different, uh, excuse me, defined by the dictionary, just the basic terms, uh, things we use every day. I also want to define it by our culture in which we live. And then finally, I want to define it through God's Word and through the Scriptures um, because that's where it comes from. So typically, uh, love is defined in two ways. According to the dictionary, I looked up Google, and so if you ever look up stuff on Google, you know it's probably right. So I don't know if y'all do that. So that's where I looked it up. So if you got any qualms with anything I'm saying about my definitions, uh, check out Google. Write them a letter. So the first way the love is defined is uh, as a verb, or excuse me, as a noun. 
um, and it's referred to as an intense feeling of deep emotion. Uh, we can think about romance. Uh, it's defined as uh, a way of an affectionate greeting conveyed, conveyed to someone on someone else's behalf. Love always, so-and-so. Um, or, yeah. Um, let's see. And you can use it at the end of the letter. Uh, refers to having intense pleasure in something. I love my job or I love my sport or whatever I do. Um, it can also be referred to as a score in tennis. So if you have zero points, that's love. You have That's what it's called in, in tennis. Uh, the second way love is defined is as a verb. And the most common way is um, when we talk about um, it's in the third person present. So all you grammatical English folks out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and that's used such as like he or she loves his or her mother dearly. Okay, that would be a verb of how we're loving. And that's basically what the dictionary says. Now, our culture takes a completely different turn, but they what they want to do is the culture has taken the definitions above and has, cho- has chosen to use them as a way to convey a feeling or an emotional response in general. The reason we live this way is because we have actually been created to love. God made us that way. He made us creatures who are to love our creator. Now, the culture has taken something pure and separate and has made it filthy and common, as we see in ads and movies or with, your fa- or with famous movie stars or people in scandalous affairs. Uh, we see that on, on the television all the time. They've even gone and made reality TV shows out of the Real Housewives of whatever you want to call it. Um, and <laughs> to be honest, and they, they're on TV still running because we get a thrill out of watching who's in and out of love this week. It's part of our depravity. And we may not recognize it that way, but that's the cause of things. That's what, that's what our biggest problem was, is. Well, again, why are we attracted to that? Well, I'm glad you asked why you were attracted to those things. And to be quite honest, we're attracted to those things because we're evil. We are evil. 1 John 2, 15 through 20 tells us not to love the world. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now typically in our society, we are often consumed with the Greco-Roman approach uh, in portraying love as something that's self-satisfying or self-gratifying. Uh, we, uh, we see this in literature, uh, in fairy tale endings, in movies that are unrealistic, and everybody lives happily ever after. But we don't ever get to see the, the hard times or the struggles that people go through. All we ever see are the pretty good-looking, smelling good folks that are up there, and that's all we see, and it's not reality. And so when the world conveys that to us, they're trying to trick us, and they want to get us aside from what God has actually called us to do and what God has actually called love to be and how we are to demonstrate that in the world. Now, the selfishness is nothing new. Um, people have been selfish since people have been people. Um, ever since the fall, we have decided that we wanted to go in a, in a direction completely opposite of what God has called us to be. And it's wonderful that Bill just gave us the, the intro of A Tale of Two Cities because that's exactly, we are, supposed to, we are supposed to go a certain way, but we have chosen to do something else because that is what we desire. And if you don't feel that way, well, I'm not there yet. So let me get there. 
Uh, you know, we'll say things like, uh, I love you with all of my heart, or my heart is full of love. Again, we go back to this romantic feeling or an emotion. And of course, the popular cliche, the heart wants what the heart wants. Well, I'm okay with that one. Okay, because there's a verse that, that goes with that one. And that verse is John, or excuse me, Jeremiah 17, 9. And if we all know that one, well, then, then we know what that says. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So when you want to balk back and say, I'm not that way, I know my heart, there's a verse right there that says, who can know it? And God's the one who said it. So if you don't like that verse, which I don't like that verse because it attacks my flesh. And it makes me want to say that I need something. So that's difficult. That's difficult. So this position can be offensive to the unconverted heart. But 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us the, net be- the reason why it's, it's, it's offensive to us is because 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned or divided. So a lot of folks out there will say, oh, that kind of stuff is stupid, and the Bible's stupid. Well, that makes sense, because that's, that goes along with their argument. Because their argument is, what you're saying is foolishness. Well, great, because that goes right along with what God says. All right. So the unconverted heart, it's definitely offensive to. But what about the converted heart? What about those hearts that have been changed? What about believing hearts? Well, the converted heart still deals with the old nature. Uh, it must acknowledge its depravity, one, because it already knows it has, it's depraved, and it knows that it needs a Savior. It acknowledges its depravity and need for righteousness. But we need to look at our own hearts and judge whether or not we have any deceit or any desperation towards wickedness in our own lives. I know I do, and I know that's why it's tough for me to read God's word, because it attacks my flesh. That's good. That's good. Now, if you see that you don't have anything wrong with you or any of those kind of things in yourself, you might want to check yourself, okay? Because clearly we're not looking at our lives through the lens of Scripture, because Scripture is clear about what we need, and it's clear about how we should live. Culture is going to tell you that you're okay and that you don't need newness of heart and that you're okay just the way you are and you're fine and everyone else needs to get in line and learn how to love you the way you are. You know, you're a good person. Okay. Well, Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's a way that seems right to man, but it end, but its end is the way of death. So if you got it all together... You might want to reconsider that if that's the way we're living. And as believers, we need to take into consideration how we need to keep short accounts with God. Because if we have this kind of attitude, then clearly we're not right before the Lord. Because he says that there's a way that seems right to us, but it ends in the way of death. (laughs) So we desperately need to have our hearts quickened by the Holy Spirit or made alive. We don't want to have changed hearts because our hearts love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. And that's one of the biggest problems that we have. John 3, 19 through 21 says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. 
Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So that's kind of like some definitions in the cultural, what they have to say. But anytime the culture has to say something, I just really feel like God's word needs to just completely dominate that. So if I had more scripture in there than what the culture says, good. All right. So now I want to kind of move to the spiritual definition of love. And this is wonderful. We're going to start with Philippians 2, 5 through 11. If you're not there, it's okay. But this is the humbled and exalted Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that at the, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, sacrificial forgiveness demonstrates true holiness and divine love. Any other demonstration of love is a form of idolatry because it wants that which is selfish and that which elevates self. We need new hearts that seek after God. We need new hearts with new affections. We need hearts that desire righteousness in order to please Christ. As Amanda read earlier for us in Corinthians, love suffers long and is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own gain. It's not provoked. It doesn't think of evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. I appreciate this verse, these verses so much because I'm so thankful for what God's done in my life. All right. Weeping deacon, shut it down. Here we go. All right. All right. <clears throat> True love is a fervent, gracious, selfless, humble, willing, long-suffering of display, or long-suffering display of the Father's love for His Son in bequeathing a people to Him that the Son would redeem them on the cross from their sin as the only satisfaction of the Father's wrath against sin. Now, why is it the only satisfaction? Well, that's why hell is forever. Because when you go to hell, you can never pay off that debt. In the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, it talks about debtor's prison. If you're unfamiliar with debtor's prison is if you owed someone a debt and you couldn't pay that, they would throw you in prison until you paid off that debt. Now, the problem with being in prison is you don't get paid. 
So you're in that prison until it's paid off, but you can never pay it off. So you're there forever. So the same is true with God. Because God is holy, because God is separate, because God is other, there's nothing you can do. You can't help Jesus with anything. Jesus doesn't need any works of your own. The only works that you can do is because of what Jesus did. God's justice had to be upheld. And Jesus was the only one who would satisfy the wrath of God because Jesus is God. And he is the only satisfaction for himself. Jesus became flesh in order to demonstrate to us what true love actually is. If we don't love correctly, we have a worship problem. If you don't know how to love one another, if you don't do those things, you have a problem with that person, but ultimately it's not the horizontal, it's the vertical that you need to start with. Because if you have a problem on the, on the horizontal, you definitely have a problem with the vertical. Okay, because we don't have a proper view of, of, of oh, we have a worship problem because we don't have a proper view of who God is. Um, true love is becoming a slave and honoring someone else in our place so that the ultimate goal is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ both now and forevermore. All right, true love suffers long. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11 says, And above all things have fervent love one for another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as to the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Love doesn't keep records of wrong. Psalm 103, 11, verse through 13, says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, excuse me, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. I was blessed Wednesday night by Rafa's lesson. Uh, it, was re- <laughs> it was really good being able to hear you, brother, because I was reminded that we're commanded to love one another. So it's kind of interesting <laughs> when we're talking about loving someone and sacrificially loving, God commands us to do that. He commands us to love people. And sometimes, you know, it's hard enough to follow all the rules, but yeah, now I got to love them. I got to love folks too. I mean, it's hard enough to do what I'm supposed to do and not grumble and this and that, but now i got to love another grumbler over here that's always irritating me and just look at him. I mean, but that's the kind of thing that we forget sometimes because as believers, we need to check ourselves real quick because have you ever once irritated Christ or been unloving to him or not done what he asked? or Maybe you haven't. Well, well you have. You may not realize it. But listening, listen to Rafa, if y'all missed it, I just want to read it again because it goes so well into what we're talking about today. John 15, 7 through 11. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments and you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And it was just, it was a blessing because I just said, wow, that's going to just run right into what I'm talking about here. So I was, I was thankful for that. Um, with this in mind, with all that we've just discussed here, let us consider this with the epistle of 1 John, and let's talk about, about the context and how it informs the passage. Okay, so I'm going to throw a bunch of verses at you. So if you're taking notes right now, I'm not going to go over them. I'm just going to tell them to you. All right, so John, the beloved apostle, is writing to the church at large, affectionately referring to them as little children in chapter 2, verse 1, verse 18, and verse 28, and then chapter 3, verse 7, and verses eight and verse 18, and then also in chapter 4, verse 4, and chapter 5, verse 21. He also refers to uh, the church as the beloved in chapter 3, Verse 2 and 21, in chapter 4, verses 1, 7, and 11. And the reason he does these things, there's four reasons for it. He wants to add to their joy in chapter 1, verse 4. He wants to guard the church or guard them against sin in chapter 2, verse 1. He wants to warn them against false teachers, chapter 2, verse 26. And then he wants to strengthen their faith in Christ and assure them of eternal life in chapter 5, verse 13. The theme of the epistle is threefold. The point is God is life, God is light, and God is righteous love. All right. The epistle discusses a overcoming conflict with the world and with evil powers, and he does this through two principles. He talks about our faith, and he talks about love. Now, with all that info I just gave you, let me get to the text. All right. So our text is 1 John 4, 7 through 11. And if you're like me as a kid, there was a song, and if you're familiar with this song, 1 John 4, 7, then you may, you may think about it while I'm reading this to you. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Okay, I have four simple points, and the first one, well, I have have four questions, which I will have four applications or four points to it. Number one, where does love originate? Number two, who is able to love? Three, how is love applied? And finally, number four, why should we love? All right, where does love originate? Well, verse 8 says that 
He does not love he who does not love does not know God for God is love. So I didn't really I was really excited because I didn't have to go look that up anywhere else in the Bible. God is love. It says it right there. Fantastic. Don't really need another point to go with it, but there are many points talking about the love of God. Um, let's see. Who is able to love? We're going to look at 1 John 5, 4. If you don't want to turn to that's okay. Just know where we're at. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So our faith is a thing that helps us, that makes us able to do things. All right. Now, God calls us sons according to Galatians 3.26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Because, and so because we are sons, we are now able to demonstrate love that our Father has given to us. We are now able to bear the image of the Holy One. So once we are born in Christ, well, now we have his, if you will, his DNA. I don't mean to say that we're God or anything like that. Don't hear me say that at all. But we, if we're born of God, we are in his family. And so then we are his children. And so then we are now able to do the things that our father can do. Before we are born of God, we are unable to do anything that pleases God, anything. There's no verse in here that says anywhere that those outside of Christ are able to please God because, well, it's not even in here, but God is angry with the wicked every day. And we need to know that. And get back on the page. All right. All right. How is love applied? Uh, Philippians 2, 8 through 10. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became the obedient. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, those on earth and under the earth. Okay. Because of the cross, those who are in Christ are justified according to God. The word propitiation refers to settling of a debt. Jesus was the exact payment that God the Father would accept because the forgiveness of sins is only accomplished through the shedding of blood. Now the reason the reason that Jesus was the only one that was able to do that was because he was without sin. And so that sacrifice, that self-sacrifice of a righteous and holy one is the only thing, and the only one who would appease the wrath of God. Uh, Ephesians 1, 7-14 tells us, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth. In him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. That he who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also trusted after, heard the, after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, why should we love? 
Well, that's interesting. Bill was stealing uh, some of my verses here earlier and decided to use Romans 5.8 up here, which I appreciated very much. Why should we love? Because God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet still sinners, he died for us. I mean, many times people will die for somebody or go give their lives or go lay, lay down their lives. You military guys in here. We got first responders, all kinds of things. Many times you guys will go do that, and you'll just go do it because you love. But the king, the creator of the world, decided to go and die for his enemies who hate him, who shake a fist in his face, who say, no, I'm not going to do that. God set the sun where it is and everything in its Everything in, the, in its orbit. He makes all these things to be where they are. He tells the sea to go this far, but no further. He tells lame to walk. He tells the blind to see, and he tells us to come, and we say, no. Whew. All right. The good thing is, is we have someone that prays for us. And hopefully I can read this. Hopefully. John 17, the high priestly prayer. I'm only going to be taught, I'm going to be reading you verses 20 through 26. Jesus prays for all believers. And he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and that the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved Them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That I may behold, excuse me, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So, wrapping up here. Beloved, I urge you, knowing these things, live your life in such a way that glorifies God. We need to understand that the simplest things please God. Acknowledge your lack of love for others but ultimately your lack of love for him. Do you see anywhere in your life anything in your life that keeps you from living a life of servanthood for others? Do you realize that your lack of love, your lack of love shows a lack of worship to God? Do you desire... Do you desire to live a life that honors the king? Where you are in life, 
is the exact place that God has put you. Are you unconverted? Do you realize your need for the Savior? What's he teaching you? Are you listening? Can you hear him? If you're struggling to love your fellow believer, ask him for help. If you're struggling to love your spouse, ask him for help. He's faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and make you to become one bearing the image of the Holy One. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son and for the gift of repentance and faith. Pray that you would be glorified in your church as we esteem others over ourselves and demonstrate your love among us. In Jesus' name, amen.